Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, May 19th, we're studying Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. As the word of the Lord continues to grow, Peter continues his ministry in Lydda and Joppa. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me back. Pastor Preuss, as we get started today, let's talk some context. We're at the end of Acts chapter 9. What should we know about Acts, where we've been, where we're headed as we prepare to look at this text today? Well, in chapter 9, you have the great story of Paul's conversion or Saul, uh, which is his Hebrew name. And that's obviously going to be repeated as Saul, uh, Paul, retells his conversion story uh, later on in his uh, ministry. But now what Luke does here is he takes, he takes a turn to go back to the ministry of Peter. And so we see a sort of recapitulation of certain things that happened soon after Pentecost in Jerusalem, but this time it's happening in Gentile areas. And so Peter is now in the land of, uh, well, he's in Lydda, uh, and he's, he's right near the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And so you have Peter going and doing something that he's done before, that he did in Jerusalem, uh, uh, healing a man who is lame. And so here Luke is bringing us into setting us up for really what's going to happen in chapter 10 is going to be the climax of it, where Peter uh, comes to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit shows his full manifestation on the Gentiles. And that's going to be very significant to the rest of the, the story, the account of Acts that the gospel has come to the Jews first, but also to the Greeks, that is to all the other nations. So we're, we're getting ready for a, a second Pentecost of sorts, but this time to the the Gentiles, and Peter's going to be the one that leads up into that. Why? I mean, what's with the, the interplay between Saul slash Paul and Peter here? Luke's kind of, he's introduced Saul to us, and he's set him up as, as someone who will be a major important player in the in the story, but now he's coming back to Peter. What's the, how does that work? Well, Peter and Paul are the two major players among the apostles, Peter being one who was there from the beginning with Jesus, and Paul, who's one uh, that's untimely born, to use Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. And you even have this, you have recorded in Galatians a conflict between Peter and Paul, where Paul had to call Peter to account for showing partiality to the Jews uh, against the Gentiles. And so this is obviously a very important issue in the early church. 
uh, which it still is today, and it centers on the, the central article that we are righteous, not by our own flesh and blood efforts or even flesh and blood genealogy, but only through faith in Christ by the spirit of our God. And so Philip, or excuse me, Luke is focusing on Peter here to, to show the, uh, the, the, the coinciding unity of his ministry with Paul's and they're, 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 they're coming together and you see, you see hints of Paul in earlier in Acts that actually the first hint that you get of him is when the, the, the apostles are being, uh, you know, tried and, mm-hmm. and Gamaliel or Gamaliel, who is one of the Pharisees, and one of the leaders of the Pharisees gets up in the council and says, hey, if this is sent by God, we're not going to be able to stop it. So let's, you know, release the apostle or release these men. And so then they just beat them and then let them go. And that's the first hint that you get of Saul slash Paul, because later on, Paul says he reveals that he was brought up as a disciple of Gamaliel. And, yeah. and then you have Stephen being persecuted and stoned to death. And, and where the, the persecution is really heightened, and then you have this young man named Saul uh, at whose feet they lay their coats, and he approves of the, uh, of the execution of Stephen. And so Luke is, Luke is he, he's sort of uh, uh, easing in to introduce Paul to us. And then right when he's given us a great, a great nugget of Paul, and this, this wonderful story of his conversion, all of a sudden he takes a step back and brings us back to Peter. And, mm-hmm. and he's showing here the, the interplay between the apostles. And it's going to culminate, especially when we get to the Jerusalem council yeah. um, and yeah. where Paul and, uh, and, and Peter are, are both present and they have to then work together. So it's, and I think it's what, what, what we're really seeing here is how the spirit of God is not, uni- is, is not divided, uh, mm-hmm. even though Paul and Peter are not interacting with each other quite yet. Hmm. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at the text. We're in Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and excuse me, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. 
and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. That's our text for today. That's Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43. Pastor Price, talk about Peter's movement here. We've primarily been seeing Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem, but back in chapter 8, John and Peter went to visit Samaria when the gospel first went here. And now Peter's moving around outside of Jerusalem. What's what's he doing here? Peter is going through the area that, that Philip was just visiting. And we see here, you know, Philip had, had preached in this area. We, and we know that he then was brought down to visit with the, the eunuch from Ethiopia and explain to him how Isaiah 53 is talking about Christ and he baptizes him there. And so you have, you have this ministry going on up in, uh, in, in, in the Samar- Samaria region. And so Peter's returning to this area, which is a common practice for the apostles, as we see in the book of Acts. We see Paul and Barnabas, for example, go in chapter 11, they go up to Antioch or go down to Antioch from Jerusalem because you always go down from Jerusalem. And they, they went there to strengthen the Christians who were there. And, 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 and this shows that you don't, they don't just show up at a place and then never go there again. They're, they're not just planting, but they're also watering. And they're trusting that God's going to give the growth, as, as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, that he planted Apollos water and God gave the growth. So, so you see Paul doing this later on, Paul and Barnabas, where, you know, on their second missionary journey, what prompts them to go on this journey is it's not only to uh, reach more people with the gospel, but it's also to go and strengthen those churches that they have planted. And so we see Peter doing this. He's, he's going through these areas where there are believers, where the gospel has, has uh, come to these places, and there are Christians, but they still need that continual nurturing. And so th- this teaches us a lot about missions, that missions are not just about having a revival show, and then everyone's a Christian, and then now we can just you know, go home and, you know, uh, let, let's maybe have another revival. But there needs to be, there needs to be that constant nourishment of word and sacrament and that constant uh, education in the word of God that the apostles are bringing. So the, the apostles are building on the foundation that God has, has, has placed and they continue to build. And, that, and that's what we see Peter doing. I'm reminded of the conversation I had with your brother on the the text with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and and how he is baptized there, which goes hand in hand with the teaching that Philip gave him. And we talked about how baptism and teaching always go together. And I do think to see Peter and later Paul, as you said, go and visit these churches that are already established does help us to keep that in mind when it comes to what we sometimes call mission work or evangelism, that there is, it's more than 
it's, it is important to reach those who have never heard the gospel before. We should proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. But we should also remember that that evangelism, that mission work does include the continued teaching that goes along with that gift of baptism that they receive. That, that this teaching, this visitation that we see here is a, is a part of that work. And it's, it's vital to the ministry of the church. Yeah, because you can't, I mean, God isn't going to engraft, uh, engraft others into the vine uh into the other branches of the vine if if those branches you know without first strengthening those branches right he's obviously going to cut off the branches that are dead and that's the the pruning is all part of it as well which we see that in the book of acts but yeah he, he he's strengthening the brethren even as he's adding to the brethren and that's what we see happening all the time throughout the book of acts hmm. So in Lydda, that's where Peter goes first. There are already saints there. So the, the gospel has been proclaimed here and he is visiting them, as we've said. And he meets a man named Aeneas. Now, that's not a, a name that you encounter every day, at least not in, in our culture. Who, who is this Aeneas that Peter meets? Well, it's interesting because it, it, it strikes me that he's got the same name as the epic hero of Virgil's The Aeneid, right. um, who, uh, you know, who is according to their lore was uh you know was one of the ancestors or fathers of the roman people and so he was involved in the trojan war and after the trojan war he you know livy records that he went out and you know started uh, uh some some settlements out in in near rome and you know generations later you had romus and ramulus who uh who founded the city of Rome and the rest is history. Um, and so what that, but what that shows though, and the main point here that, that sticks out is that Aeneas is a Gentile and he's, he's clearly of a, you know, like Paul, for example, his, his name, his name is Saul. That's his Hebrew name. He's from the tribe of Benjamin and Saul was also the, the King Saul was uh, in the days of, of David was of the tribe of Benjamin. And so Saul obviously would have been named after the Saul of the Old Testament. And, but then his name is Paul. Well, his, I always thought that, well, Paul was just now, now that's his new Christian name. Well, I suppose in a sense that, that there, that's true. You know, he's known by, he's known as Paul uh, after, uh, you know, really after a certain point in Acts, I think it's chapter 13 or something that now he's known as Paul. But really, Paul is pretty simple. Paul is just his Roman name. He's a Roman citizen. And so so you have your Roman name and your Hebrew name. We see this later with with uh, with uh, uh, Dorica and Tabitha, uh, where, where you have a more Greek name, but then you have your Hebrew name. It, so so with, with Aeneid, or sorry, uh, Aeneas, he... He's he's clearly uh, a Roman, you know, some type of Gentile, and he's not he's not a Jew. And this and this is showing then how Luke is setting us up how Peter is is approaching the Gentiles. He's bringing the ministry to the Gentiles, which, as I said before, is going to climax in the next chapter where he visits he visits uh, Cornelius's household, and that's what this part of Acts chapter nine is setting us up for that it's it's setting us up for this this major event where where peter is going to visit a household of gentiles um, which is 
very significant, especially when you consider the tensions between the Jews and Gentiles, especially at this time. So with this major transition happening now in the book of Acts, getting ready for Peter to very clearly recognize and then proclaim that the gospel is for Gentiles, we're already seeing it go to the Gentiles here. The miracle, the sign that he does, you mentioned this earlier, is a repeat of of what we've seen already. He goes to a man who is paralyzed. Uh, Talk about the sign that Peter does in Lydda. Yeah, so this is a sign that Jesus performed. Uh, In John's gospel, we hear of Jesus healing a man at the pool at Bethesda, where he tells him to take up his mat and go home. And of course, that that starts a big controversy about a man uh, carrying his mat on the Sabbath day and Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And then Jesus gets into this wonderful uh, discourse about the work that he and the Father are doing and that this work has actually been going on from eternity. Um, and, uh, he, and, and he has some wonderful, wonderful teaching on that in, in, in chapter 5 of the life that the Father has given to the Son from eternity, which he gives then now as the Son of Man. And then you, and then you have in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have this account of a paralyzed man whose friends come and bring him to Jesus. And I believe it's Luke who says that they brought him in through the roof because there was no, they, 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 they couldn't get into the house. And Jesus forgives this man, by, or the, Jesus heals this man by forgiving him of his sins, which again starts another controversy about you know, who can forgive sins. And of course, God has given the Son of Man authority on earth to forgive sins. And so this, this healing of a lame man is is very significant to what Jesus himself would do. That is, rise from the dead, you know, who was, you know, lame in his death and was raised from the dead in order to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And so Peter has just done this uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. This is right after Pentecost. And he says to this man who's begging for money, he says, you know, gold and silver I do not have, but but uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, of in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, rise. And of course, you know, then they that that got them into trouble with the authorities of the of the Jews. Uh, so, but this particular miracle is significant because Peter he makes it very clear that Jesus is the one who's healing him. He says Jesus uh, has a. Uh, uh, has made you well, right? Jesus heals mm. you, and uh, and and then and then he tells him to get up. So so Peter is simply the mouthpiece for Christ, and Christ. Is, so so you could think of this as just as what this is Jesus doing to this man through Peter, exactly the same thing that he did to the man at Bethesda and the man in 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 the whole in the house. Uh, that his his that the man's friends brought him to. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about the connection between what Peter does here and then, the, as you the mentioning of the the miracle that Jesus does with that house and the the conflict that arises in the Gospels there is over the matter of Jesus forgiving that man's sins, and and Jesus very clearly establishes his his authority to forgive sins, and he shared that authority with his disciples he gave that to them the office of the keys john chapter 20 is is there something to that here as well that the the healing of a paralyzed man is is significant both in acts 3 and again in acts 9 as a reminder of the 
the primacy of the proclamation of forgiveness, that, that that's part of what's going on, why this miracle shows up multiple times? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because it shows authority. You know, there's, you can't, you know, one of the significant things too is all the eyewitnesses. You know, just like in Acts 3, you have all, you, you have all the people who see it and, and, and no one can deny what they just saw. And so this brings to mind, you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus, that no one can deny the empty tomb. And, and what this brings to the fore is that Jesus does have the authority. There is no, as Peter says, uh, when he talks to, 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 the, to the crowds, he says, there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. So what this brings, what this brings to, to, uh, to focus is that Christ is the authority. He is the one to whom we are accountable. He is the one, he is the one to whom uh, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life belong, and he's the dispenser of that. So when he heals this man, tells this man to rise, uh, he, is, he is speaking the authority of Christ, who has risen from the dead and declares forgiveness of sins. Now, let's talk a little bit about the connection then to what happens in Acts chapter 3. And I guess maybe the connection, one thing that stands out compared to from Acts 9 back to Acts 3 is in, you, you have the mention of Jesus in both cases. He says, you know, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. But but here what's striking is that he he calls Aeneas by name. I don't think he did that with the, the beggar in Acts chapter 3. But here, Aeneas, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ heals you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it really... It reminds me of uh, of when Jesus says, you know, he he says to Zacchaeus, uh, mm. "Come down from the tree." He says to Mary at the empty tomb, he says, "Mary," and she recognizes him. Um, there are t- there are times where where God is explicitly calls someone by name, and it doesn't mention here that Peter knows this guy. I mean, he's just he's just coming through, and it doesn't even we don't even know if Aeneas is part of the community of believers even, hmm. you know, but it's a guy yeah. named Aeneas and the people who live there know who he is. But Peter then calls him by name, which shows what kind of, th- th- this shows how God heals. This shows what kind of God he is. It's, it's like, it, what is it? Isaiah, is it Isaiah 43 where he says, yeah. uh, you know, I know you by name, you are mine. Um, you know, we, we, we have that, uh, that simple hymn, I am Jesus' little lamb, where it says, mm. he loves me every day the same, even calls me by my name. And I love when I teach that to, to little children, I love to ask them, when did God call you by name? And they, they say, when he baptized me. And we all see it right there in baptism. You know, you, you, your, your name was spoken and, and God spoke through the pastor, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. So, just as Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, called Mary by name, and therefore she recognized him. So now Jesus, speaking through Peter, says Aeneas and tells him to, uh, to get up. And, and so now Aeneas knows Jesus uh, because Jesus knows Aeneas. So we, you know, we strive to make, to, to, to know him, even as we are already fully known, 
as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, talk about the reaction to this sign that happens there in Lydda and the relationship between the reaction to the sign and the, the preaching of the word that we know accompanies it. Yeah, so, you know, Luke records that, that all who dwelt in Sharon and Lydda turned to the Lord when they saw him, right? They saw him and they turned to the Lord. Of course, you know, it, it's not, he's not necessarily saying that every single person you know, saw this and turned to the Lord, but, but he's, he's, he's speaking more about how this word and this miracle spread abroad um, and uh, uh, th throughout that whole region and people were converted. But, you know, we know, of course, from Romans ten seventeen being one example, that faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, right? That's how faith is given. Faith is not given by showing you something. And yet, it's very important in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit is confirming his word and the power of his word with these miracles, just as Jesus confirmed his word with miracles in his earthly ministry. And so this is why it's so important for Peter to say, Jesus the Christ heals you. Right? It wasn't just that a lame man was, was now walking, but it was that the word of Jesus healed him. So, so, the, so it's so if for for word of this to spread abroad, if you think about it, the, they're not just saying, "Hey, did you hear about that guy who was lame and now he's now he's uh, walking?" And then, pe and then people are just going to say, "Oh, really? Wow, cool. Okay." Um, well, no, they're going to ask, "Well, how did it happen?" Well, this guy showed up. His name's Peter, and he said, "Jesus Christ heals you." Well, that word, that word, that message, Jesus Christ heals you, is the gospel in a nutshell, right? Jesus Christ saves you, in other words. Yeah. So, so this is this is what converted them. Now, of course, they were. This word was confirmed by this great sign, um, but uh, but that's for the sake of strengthening and confirming uh, our our conviction in the word. But it is the word itself, always from the beginning, which creates faith. And that was true here as well. Yeah, the proclamation of the word continues in Lydda and in Joppa as well. And we will pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at Acts chapter 9 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, May 19th. We're studying Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we looked at how Peter has visited the church in Lydda and there has performed the sign that confirms the word he's preaching. Now the text turns our attention to Joppa. Give us some some ge- geographical information and any historical background. What's Where's Joppa? What's the what's the move here? That's from Lida to Joppa. Yeah, I found this interesting. So I, I I happen to be doing my Bible study Tuesday night Bible study on Acts. I've been uh, we've been in Acts since uh, since the fall, and so I've been reading this book by Bruce. What's his first? It's like two F F F F Bruce. Bruce. Yeah. So like history, New Testament history, or something like that, and it's very interesting. He gives a lot of background that can be found in uh, a lot of a lot of his sources. His primary sources come from the historian Josephus, who talks about some of the background of these areas and the political and cultural and social climate uh, in the background here. So, so first, Joppa is uh, just, it's a port city right on the Mediterranean. It's actually where uh, Jonah went to escape from, from God and tried to sail to Tarshish. Um, and, uh, and, and God threw him, threw him overboard, or he was thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish. But uh, it's just about 11 miles east of Lydda. Uh, and so this this was a place with many this would have had many Gentiles, and I mentioned before about the tensions being really high. Um, now, some historical background: a few years before this, so at this time, Claudius is the uh, he's the emperor of Rome. Before him, Claudius's I believe it was Claudius's nephew uh, Gaius, who's also known as Caligula was uh, was emperor and he had he had a had erected or i can't remember if he erected it or if he threatened to erect a statue of himself uh in the temple in jerusalem but herod agrippa who was kind of a populist um he was he was loved by the jewish people uh and this is one of the reasons why is he got gaius to back off and he and, and he had a good relationship with both gaius and uh, Claudius. Well, then Gaius eventually dies, and I think he's assassinated or something like that. And then there was later on, and it's right around this time, probably about 43 AD, there is a statue of Claudius that's set up in a synagogue in Dor, which is also in the Mediterranean Sea, which is just north of Joppa. Uh, I don't know how many miles, uh, maybe 15, 20 miles. Maybe I'm a little off there. But, um, but but Agrippa also then uh, talked the the whoever the governor of that area was in Syria to take that down, and so hmm. so these threats of syncretism from the Gentiles are are very high at this time, and the and the Jews, it, understandably so, are very much on edge, uh, and 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 very much wary of. The Gentile syncretism, Gentile pollution of their true worship. I mean, you you had uh, you had in previous centuries, not too long uh, before all this, uh, you had the story of of, of Antiochus, the, mm-hmm. the the Syrian 
uh, uh, emperor or the Syrian king who who polluted the the temple, and you had the revolt of the of Judas Maccabeus, the Maccabeans, and, and all and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the, and there were other things going on in Alexandria, and you know, there's there's a whole history here where the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews are always trying to ward off the false pagan worship of the Gentiles. And you see this, just look at the Old Testament. This is all over. And so at this time, especially, it, it, for, for Peter and, and, the, and these, these, these Christian apostles to be in these Gentile lands, uh, you know, bringing, bringing the gospel to them and treating them to be co-heirs with them is going to be seen in not very, you know, not very good light among among these Jews, and we're going to see this, you know, uh, in in chapters uh, chapter eleven, I believe it is, is where Peter has to then defend himself, and and of course this becomes a big deal later on with the Jerusalem Council. So so this is so we can't we 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 can't forget this glaring background when Peter is coming into these Gentile areas uh, that that this is. Uh, this is a very tense moment, and and mm. and the the, the the original hearers of this, I'm sure, would have been a lot more, a lot closer to these events, and uh, and, and and these they would have understood the significance of you know, Peter going and 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 going on this Gentile mission. Mm. Uh, that's a significant thing to keep in mind, particularly in this account when it comes to Tabitha or Dorcas, because it is, you maybe lose that, but so there's that tense background. And Joppa, the reason Luke turns our attention there is because of a, a disciple who's there, her name is Tabitha or Dorcas. Both of those names uh, mean gazelle, according to the, the notes that I've read. Tell us a little bit about Tabitha. I don't, you pick whichever name you want to use, I suppose. I'm going to go with Tabitha. Yeah, let's do Tabitha. So Tabitha, I believe is her Aramaic or Hebrew name. Right, and Dorca would be I think so. would be the Greek name, and uh, so she's described as a woman quote full of good works and charitable deeds, and so this being filled with good works I think is significant. It's not merely that she did a lot of good works, but she was full of good works. Uh, so she was adorned with good works. Paul talks about this in First Timothy two, where he says that women should not be adorned with gold and braided hair and jewelry, but they should be adorned with good works, with, with godliness. And Peter refers to this in, in, in the third chapter of his first epistle, uh, that with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, and in Titus chapter 2, Paul speaks about how the older women should teach good things, uh, good works to the younger women. Um, and, and so this, so, so we could look at Tabitha as, as a, a, a woman who's full of the spirit, right? So she's full of good works. So this should remind us what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Mm -hmm. she's, she's full of the spirit. She's a pious woman uh, whose faith is well known um, and is an encouragement to others. She's a pillar in the community there, in the Christian community, in the congregation. And so for her to die would a, it would be to cause a great grief. And, and, you know, you, I'm sure, have experienced this as a pastor. I've experienced this when, when someone in the congregation, particularly a woman who, who, is, 
who has shown, who has been a rock for many people in the congregation dies. And if, especially when you have a sudden death, I remember a couple years ago, um, this lady in my uh, congregate, one of my congregations up in Iowa suddenly died. And it was so, it was so difficult for everyone. It was such a shock. And this was a lady who was very encouraging, was in Bible class every, every time there was Bible class, she was always, always in church and always an encouragement to everyone there and then suddenly died. And so this is, this is an important detail because what we're, what we're hearing from Luke, from the Holy Spirit here, is that the gospel that has come to this place in Joppa, to this community of believers, that has formed this community of believers, this community of saints, has, has, has planted roots, right? And you, and you have this, you have this congregation, a life going on in this congregation, and, and God uses different people with different gifts. And he uses the strong, those with stronger faith um, to, to, to help those with weaker faith. And so this is a, a very difficult time for these people because a mother in Christ has suddenly uh, been taken from them. Hmm. Uh, you get a sense of the grief in the way that Luke writes in verse 39, where he talks about all of these widows who are there weeping and they've got these garments that, that Tabitha had made. It's not, it's not hard to picture that as almost like a, a visitation of sorts where, where all of these widows have, have brought these, you know, this, the fruit of the good works of this woman. And they're, they're talking about her, they're, they're mourning over her. You can, you can picture this, I think very easily that, Tabitha, or and again Dorcas, is, this is what she's well known for: is for the making of of garments. Is talk a little bit about about that aspect of her good works. Well, yeah, and that mentions the charitable deeds, you know. So she likely made, I and mean, she had God gave her a gift uh, in 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 making clothing, and mm. so she she likely made this to help clothe the poor or to clothe others in need. I mean, it could be as simple as you know making clothes for the the babies who were coming and, 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 and being born in the congregation. And, and, uh, you know, that these kids are, there are being welcomed into the, into the, the congregation through baptism. And, you know, you just think of the regular things that our ladies in our congregations do, where they, yeah. they'll make clothes. I mean, my mom will knit and she'll send clothes to her grandkids. And these, these little, these things that seem like little things to the world are great godly works and precious in God's sight because they help to to clothe uh, the, the the children of God and that's very significant you know you, you think of uh, you think of her being uh, uh, full of good works well she's clothed herself with Christ and and with Christ she's thereby clothed herself with all godly virtue you know put on then as God's beloved meekness and and, and so forth. And so this is what, what's being described here. As you said, it's the fruit of these good works. It's, it's the fruit of sanctification. And of course, when we think of sanctification, we're going to think of good works. But it's, it's not necessarily, a, it's not a quota of good works. It's not about the, the uh, you know, measurement, uh, numerical measurement of that, uh, of, of the good works, but that the good works are an outward manifestation of being clothed with Christ and with the spirit of Christ. And so that's what, that's what, that's the picture that's being painted for us here is that she is full of good works. She's, she was, she was uh, uh, 
a, a saint uh, clothed with Christ who, who, who was uh, through her meek and humble service was a comfort to her fellow redeemed. Hmm. So in this, in this context, then Tabitha has died. She's been washed and laid in an upper room. I think that maybe just briefly, there is something to the care that they, they show this saint who has died the way that they, they treat her even after she has died. They, they show that care and concern that we see throughout the scriptures. Whenever a saint dies, there is care and concern for the body that will be raised in the last day. You, you see it evident here. Maybe yeah. just a, a brief note on that, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, they, they're just, just as the ladies went to go and anoint the body of Jesus, you know, they, they care about her body. That, and that, that little detail, like you said, it shows that they have the hope of the resurrection on the last day. Now, they call Peter to come. It's, this is an interesting thing, the way the, the text goes. They know Peter's in the area. They know he's in Lydda. And so they, they send a messenger and say, hurry and come. And maybe I'm not sure if the text answers this or not, but what are they? why do they want Peter to come? What do you think they're, they're thinking he's going to do? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question because on the one hand, obviously, Peter, ha- God has performed great and mighty works through Peter. Uh, and, and we would, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty hard not to, uh, not to think that, wow, well, they're, they're hoping that maybe Peter can raise her from the dead. You know, <laughs> uh, they've, yeah. they've likely heard about the story of, perhaps they've heard about the story of Jesus raising Lazarus, um, you know, and they know that Jesus is at work in Peter. And you know the, the, but at the the other, but at the same time, what is it that they really want from Peter? What is it that the saints truly desire? Is the comfort that Peter comes to bring with the gospel? So these people are fervent believers, and they and they like we already mentioned, they have the hope of the resurrection. And of course, I mean, who isn't going to want this to be manifest right now? <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I think that we, we, we should, we should assert that what they expect primarily from Peter is the, the comfort that he comes, the consolation that he brings with the word of God. Um, and you see that, you know, you see that earlier in, uh, in Acts chapter nine, where, uh, you know, right before we picked up. Uh, today, where you you would have covered this uh, with your last guest, uh, so, uh, it says so. The church all over Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up, mm. living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It grew larger and larger. So, what is it that they're really relying on? They're relying on the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So, I would say that while, of course, you know they they know that Peter, that God has been doing wonderful works through Peter. And they know that God can do all things and, and that he can raise the dead and that he has raised the dead and that Jesus is risen. What they're really looking for is that just like any saint would and should look for in a time of grieving is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Yeah, I think back to 
Acts chapter 5, where there are people who are gathering in Jerusalem, hoping that just the shadow of Peter will go across yeah. them. Because they, I mean, they know that, that something's going on there, that Jesus is at work through Peter. And so, I mean, it's hard not to think that that's at least not in the back of somebody's mind oh, yeah. there in Joppa. It would but, but even then, I, I think you're right, that it is, it is mostly about the comfort of the gospel. The, and I was just trying to think through the book of Acts itself. You know, Stephen died back in, at the end of Acts chapter 7 into 8. And yet, even through that now, we don't hear about the the preaching that happens uh, to those mourning, other than you've got devout men who who go and make lamentation. But even from that death of Stephen, the word of the Lord does spread. And so here in the, the context of another death, yet more opportunity for the word of God to be proclaimed, regardless of what the Lord does or doesn't choose to do through Peter for Tabitha in terms of her, her earthly life, that comfort of the gospel still is going to be there for these for these mourners there in Joppa. Yeah, and they, they definitely, I mean, they would know that God works where and when he pleases. You know, as Jesus said, you know, there were plenty of, there were, there were plenty of widows in, in Israel, but God sent Elijah to uh, Zarephath, you know. Uh, they, they know that the, the, the physical, immediate physical healing and great mighty powers and miracles are only secondary. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be Christians. Yeah, yeah. So, talk talk more about then what Peter does when he arrives. Well, she, like you said, she's up in an upper room, and then Peter puts everyone outside, which we see Jesus doing this when he goes and he raises Jairus's daughter. He puts everyone outside, and then Peter prays. Now. This, remi- this should remind us of, uh, well, Elijah, the prophet. Elisha also uh, raised uh, uh, someone's son. But Elijah raised this widow's son, and he prayed for the child. And, you know, the child was in an upper room. And so it's, it's a very similar setting. And so we see Peter praying. Now, last time when he... When he just raised uh, raised up uh, Aeneas uh, from being lame and, and made him walk again, uh, he well, of course, we know it was Jesus who did it. But the way he did it with that with him is he said, "Jesus Christ heals you." He spoke the word, but now instead of speaking the word of Christ, Luke says that Peter prays to God, hmm. and and so this what this should show us and demonstrate for us is that prayer and the word of God go together. They're inseparable. So, you know, I, um, uh, one of my parishioners, uh, uh, recently he, he, uh, he's, he's a pious young man. Uh, there was a, a kid at kid in his school who died in a tragic accident recently. Um, and he was doing announcements over the intercom and then said a prayer. Uh, and, uh, you know, prayed and, and, and his mom read to me the prayer and it was just a good, you know, he didn't get into all the particulars and stuff. Just, he just proclaimed the gospel, but in his prayer, you know, and that's the thing about prayer is that prayer is speaking back to God, the words that he gives us. And so prayer and the word of God go together. Now, obviously there's that distinction where prayer is our sacrifice to God. Um, and the word of God is him speaking to us. And yet they are both, they're both 
intermingled together. It's a conversation. It's a communion with God. And so when Peter's praying, he's speaking God's word because prayer without God's word is just babbling like what the Gentiles do, thinking that they're going to be heard for their many words. But prayer is always centered on and resting upon the word of Christ, who is our righteousness and our salvation. And that's what my, my parishioner in this prayer, he said something like, you know, dear, dear Jesus, you have, you have one righteousness and salvation for all. And, uh, and, 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 and it's just, just a very simple, wonderful declaration of the gospel that, and, and teaching, modeling for other people how to pray. And on the basis of what do we pray? To God on the basis of the righteousness of Christ and His salvation. So, so you could almost you know, we don't we don't get a glimpse into what Peter actually expressed in his prayer, but we know what Peter said to Aeneas: "The Lord Jesus Christ saves you, heals you." And so, on the basis of what is Peter praying? Well, on the basis of Christ's salvation, is he praying? Mm-hmm. So that so this word of God is shining through. Uh, in in Peter's prayer. Hmm. Well, and I think that that focus on the word of God in Peter's prayer then goes forth into what Peter actually says. He doesn't specifically say, you know, like he said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ says this or Jesus Christ does this, but you know that that's the case because he's been praying. Mm-hmm. And it, it is striking how it, previously he, he named Aeneas and then said, Jesus Christ heals you. And he says, rise. Here he says her name, Tabitha, and in the ESV, it's arise, but it's the same word in Greek. Both both of these people are commanded to, to get up, to rise. Yeah, yeah. And you can't, you can't help but think about the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, of course, then the hope of our resurrection. Um, so this resurrection that, that he is, that, that he is uh, giving, that Christ is giving to this woman, Tabitha, uh, is... Is, is, is only a, a, a foreshadow of the resurrection that we will share with Tabitha, who has, res- has since died <laughs> and is awaiting the resurrection, just like our departed uh, 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 brethren in Christ. And, uh, and, and just as we will when, when we die, when we, and we will wait for that hope of, of, uh, of our resurrection, which we have now in Christ's resurrection. So yeah, that word, get up, you know, um, what, what's what's the anahistomy? Is that the or anastami or um, the you know that arise? I'm probably butchering yeah. some Greek here, but uh, <laughs> that's why I'm not saying anything. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> whatever, uh, but yeah, but we have that. You know, Anastasia uh, means resurrection. So you know, yeah. it just simply means get up, arise. You know, and that. So when we think of when we get up in the morning, we wake up in the morning, we arise. Uh, his mercies are new every morning. We should think of the resurrection every time we wake up. You know, as the psalmist says, when I awake, you are still with me. You know, and that's what Christ could say when he rose from, when he rose from the dead. And so what's great here is how she, she gets up and she sees Peter, you know, mm-hmm. and she, uh, and, and he, and takes, and takes, uh, uh, takes his hand or he takes her by the hand. And it's very personal here. And Peter is is imitating how our Lord will raise us from the dead. He call us mm. by name, just as Peter called Tabitha by name. 
Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a marvelous, marvelous good news there. Now, we've got about two and a half minutes here, Pastor Price. I, just to move briefly to the end of this text, he stayed, Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And you've been telling us how, how this text is really setting the stage for what's going to happen in Acts chapter 10. I think that note about the person that Peter's lodging with also helps that he's a tanner, someone who regularly deals with, with dead animals, someone who's going to be around uncleanness. You start to see already how how the Lord is is moving Peter toward what's going to happen in chapter 10, the full inclusion of the Gentiles, that the gospel really is for, for all. Uh, help us, give us the last part of this text, wrap things up with the last two minutes or so here. Yeah, that is really an interesting, I hadn't thought about that, you know, how that really sets it up here that, you know, in the next chapter, Peter's going to have a vision and see all these animals and uh, clean and unclean and God tells him to kill and eat. And, uh, you know, of course, Peter has to learn through this that God has God has made all things clean. And so, you know, this this news, again, it says this news spread all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This is the good news of the resurrection. This wasn't just some amazing event that this woman was raised, but it's the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection that he has given us. And this news spreads throughout all the region that is it's for all people and it makes all clean and so what god has made clean do not call common pastor andrew Price is pastor at trinity lutheran church in new haven missouri helping us today with acts chapter 9 verses 32 to 43 pastor Price, thanks for being our guest today thanks for having me again I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 9, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.